Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My most frequently asked question on social media is easily, where do I buy sustainable underwear? And I totally get it. As much as I try to prioritize secondhand clothing first, I draw a line at pre-loved panties. This is where Stripe and Stare come in. They are the sustainable British brand who are behind the movement to make the underwear industry more environmentally friendly, as currently only 3% of the market is sustainably sourced. I am completely obsessed with their knickers. They're easily the comfiest pants I've ever worn. They're made using a sustainably and renewably sourced tree fiber, which is a production process that uses 95% less water than cotton. What's more, they're super transparent about their supply chains, having produced in one factory in China with the same team for over 15 years. All of their employees earn over the fair living wage and are treated equally and fairly. I am a little bit obsessed with Stripe and Stare panties and would love for you to try them for yourselves. I have an exclusive discount code for listeners. Just head to their website, which is stripeandstare.com and use the code SMALLTHINGS20 for 20% off. That's stripeandstare.com and code SMALLTHINGS20. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. You have found me on a Friday afternoon. It's 14 minutes past three and I'm feeling a bit more together this week. At least it's not Monday when I'm recording this intro. That's always fairly stressful, fairly last minute. And it's it's a big weekend. England are in the final on Sunday. So by the time this goes out, we'll know the result. Is it coming home or is it going Rome? You know, I don't. I'm nervous let's not dwell. It's all going to work out just as it's supposed to. Honestly, I can't believe this is the second week I'm starting this episode talking about football. I'm not sure you signed up for that. So um, let's let's move on. I hope you're all doing really well. Thank you again for being here. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, it is so great to have you here and you're very, very welcome. In this series, I chat to people who I find really inspiring and also quite fascinating. And I like to dwell on the small things. You know, we talk about the big things in life, but I do feel that it's the small things that weave the big things together. And I do passionately believe that it is really important to pay closer attention to the small stuff. Tom Rasmussen is a northerner based in London. When out of drag, they are contributing editor at Dazed Beauty, Love Magazine and Refinery29 and a regular contributor for The Independent and ID. Their work has also been featured in Vice, Broadly, Tank and The Gay Times. Tom is a sensational singer and forms half of the radical queer punk band ACM. Their first book, Diary of a Drag Queen, was longlisted for the Polari First Book Prize 2020. This month sees the release of their second book, First Comes Love, on marriage and other ways of being together. 
It's an incisive and highly witty exploration of what marriage means along the whole spectrum of sexuality and class. They look at why people get married for security, romance or celebration and why others see taking part in this deeply binary normative system problematic in itself, examining what the future looks like for this historic and universal institution. Tom and I recorded this episode virtually, and I do apologise for the slight just moved in, nothing much in the room echo on my end. I'm still figuring out the acoustics in my new space. We discussed everything from skincare to dogs to drag to relationships separated by borders and the importance of having multiple deep relationships, which is something that I love talking about and give a lot of thought to. I love how Tom interrogates everything. They are a natural born interviewer and I think we need to start a petition to get them to start their own podcast because I think it would be absolutely fantastic. To be completely honest with you, I don't think I had given marriage enough thought until I read this book. It's absolutely fascinating and I highly recommend it. As always, links to my guests and their work will be linked in the show notes. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Tom Rasmussen on all the small things. Tom, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. It's publication day. I feel very honoured to be spending this time with you. But let us begin as we always do. I would love to hear if you have any rituals you like to practice in the morning, or if you have a morning routine, or perhaps things are chaotic. Tell me about a morning with you. Well, such a good question. Um, it's so funny because I'm I'm sort of probably overly obsessed with work, internalised capitalism. Um, and so, you know, it's nice to be asked a question about sort of my, the personal part of my day. Um, well, it used to be wake up, have a cigarette and a coffee, and then sort of slowly get ready for the day. But I've quit smoking and I got a dog. So it's like I've become you know, some might think it sounds glamorous. I've become the least glamorous version of myself ever. So it actually starts with me waking up, making a coffee and then like cuddling my dog who is iconic, but also deeply high energy. Um, And then we go out for a walk and that's actually like a new routine and it's actually really special. And I think that's been sort of life transformative that literally 45 minutes in the morning walking not really thinking about work, not really thinking about messages or emails or whatever. And so that's my morning routine. And then, you know, usually again, I'm very swift on my um, skincare routine, but actually over lockdown, I've let it slide. And sometimes it'll get to like 11am and I'll be like, I haven't washed my face. So then that happens then, basically. You you are really into skincare, right? I am actually obsessed with skincare. Um, but that it's, I've been obsessed with skincare since I was like, honestly, since I could see. Because um, I just think, first of all, it started with like the, inc- like nothing more incredible than like, you know, like a really over the top, like fragrance bottle or a really, so it started like that way. Like I was obsessed with my sister and all her like, you know, so kiss me perfumes and all that crap. And then, and then basically I had quite bad skin, like quite, you know, quite acne prone skin when I was in my teens. And I used to do all this, you know, 
Clinique three-step with Rakitane. And then I just had like the driest face ever. And then basically when I would like, when I was like 19 or something, I discovered oil and I would just, and ever since then I've been obsessed. So yeah, I'm obsessed with skincare. <laughs> What's your kind of number one go-to product for the morning time at the moment? Mm, I'm really into, at the moment, I'm very into Votary Super Seed Oil. Um, but is that the well. really expensive one? Yeah, it's isn't like it like? Wait, that's not pounds. the lovely. Yeah, this is why I don't own anything. Like, I do, I, I don't have any savings. This is why I, I, nothing because I like I'm like, well, you need the seventy pounds skincare like oil, obviously. But and also, I'm obsessed with another of the most ridiculously expensive products, Biologique Recherche. I think that's how you say it. My French is non-existent. Have you heard of it? I haven't, but oh I God, loved the like, accent. I thought that was fabulous. Biologique recherche. It's like a, um, it's like it's a toner, which always feels like the most boring product in you know a step regime. But oh my god, it like it like burns your pores off. It's like incredible. And like my friend recommended it to me, who's got amazing skin, and I was like, yeah, no, this is rubbish. It's always you. We always overhype a product and then like get disappointed. I'm like a convert and it's one of those like if you know you know but it literally is like vinegar water and it's like must be it's like it's so expensive it's like my greatest extravagance but <laughs> fuck it who needs savings and possessions when you have glowy skin really well quite you know I'm hoping one day I'll land a huge cosmetics contract and then <gasps> it will have all been worth it <laughs> Hundred percent. I so hope that will happen. I'm sure it will. Um, let's wind the clocks back a little bit. I'd I'd love to hear about your childhood in Lancaster. You often talk about how inspiring you found your mum, and I've heard you talk um, with such love about your grandma as well, and the other women in your life growing up. You just mentioned your sister there. Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah, I think something that I find so fascinating, and I've I've sort of thought a lot about culturally or whatever that whatever that means I've thought a lot about over the last sort of decade since I left home is how um how conversations about class are so they're always like with a tinge of pity they're always like they're always like sort of middle class you know political thinkers on twitter being like it's not right what we do to the working classes and then like not really doing anything about it. And that's kind of the, as kind of as far as the conversation about like the real, the real lives of working class people go, it's sort of like shame. And it's, you know, and that's all well and good. And obviously then you have some people who are very smart and talk about class theory incredibly well. But I think one of the things that I found in sort of depictions of class in any way is that like it, it, it often really lacks like joy. I think like the joy of growing up in like a local small community um, that I haven't yet seen among sort of like the middle classes. I found the middle classes to be quite judgmental and quite scared of getting things wrong, but also quite scared of difference. Whereas like, I think it's important to me to, to, yeah, see the like wonder and joy and like resilience in where it was that I grew up and how I grew up. And that's sort of like kind of what, am I making sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you are. are. Because I've heard you talk about how like, as you, as you got older, 
um like some of some of you because you I've heard you speak about shame really well and Mm. I think you it, it sounds like you kind of tried to downplay your working class mm, roots totally. in, in some spaces, probably particularly I'm imagining at Cambridge University. Yeah. And then it's only as you've got older that you started really like embracing them. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's sort of like, it's not only learning that it's a part of you, it's learning to like celebrate it, I think. And I think like a real, a real sort of, um, response to a lot of the shame I had which was like certainly a mixture of queerness and being working class in quite posh spaces and being fat and being you know trans I think all of those things combined you sort of yeah internalize these shames and then you realize it's not just about being like you know it's fine it's actually been like it's genius it's it's all the things I felt actually ashamed about are actually really sacred parts of my identity and I think when I look back and think, when I think about the things I like about myself today, which is the fact that I'm like um, funny and quick and generous and sort of like non-judgmental, when I think about where those things come from, they come from where it was I grew up and how it was that I grew up. And so I feel deeply proud and like honored to have had that experience. And it, you know, it gets trickier and tricky. The older I get, the longer I spend it, in London, the more work I do, the more it's evident that I'm not no longer working class anymore. I'm like, I'm a published author two times over. Very glamorous. But, um, you know, I buy, I spend 70 pounds on face oil. That's, that's sick. But, um, but, um, I think, you know, I've thought a lot about this and I think it's important. Well, it's maybe not, but maybe it feels important to me to still be here talking about it rather than being like, assimilated i would really love to chat about when crystal your drag queen alter ego came into your life and how she's evolved over the years Mm. i think the thing that drag has taught me is that like there isn't there's not like one route to authenticity and so like you know when i was growing up when crystal came into my life she was very much a, a point of escape and actually deep inauthenticity which is like you know i was like you know we weren't we weren't rich, we weren't, we, and I, I, you know, I was sort of quite bullied at school. I was also fat, but I was quite bullied at school and I was, you know, I never left the country. And I was like, Cristal, even though she wasn't called Cristal, then I had this sort of imaginary character who was like, you know, so wealthy and she, you know, she, she's international and, you know, she has seen and done everything and she, she was a model and she was a, a an actor and, you know, a, a famed actor or ev- anything I wanted to be, she just became. And so in a way it's like an inauthenticity, but it's also really a place where you can sort of uplift your most authentic desires. So it's this weird thing of like, there's a lot of conversation around authenticity today. And I, I also, it's a question I ask myself too. I think it's a question we all ask ourselves, how can we be authentic when we're we're all pushed through a filter? But drag is a really interesting space because it's both deeply inauthentic in that this is a an American, you know, she's like an American, a famous American woman. And yet at the same time, it's so deeply authentic because it's, it's showcasing one of the deepest parts of who I am so I I don't know I think the idea of like say you having a character that you switch on for not even a character but like a side of yourself you switch on for camera and then you know of course you're not like that when you're like just waking up with your husband quite like make me a coffee do you know what I mean but actually they're all 
authentic parts of ourselves they're just expressed slightly differently i think it's that to me is more thrilling than like having one singular authentic mode of expression i think the idea that you can have 15 and i think if we all admitted that it would be maybe more fun hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Let us talk about weddings. I am absolutely in love with your new book, First Comes Love. It's out now. Link is in the episode notes. It's out today. Congratulations. Um, let's start, I think, on what, what prompted you to write this book. Well, I think actually it's that space of comfort that I was saying earlier, earlier, talking about earlier. It's like I I had reached a really comfortable place in my reckonings with my relationship okay and I was sort of like I'm we've been together six years we love each other deeply we understand each other deeply um and I'd reached such a level of comfort that it's like you start to think about the next logical steps and that had made me feel uncomfortable because I was like no I can't just I can't have done all this in my 20s all of this quite wild stuff that I that I value so deeply about myself and then slide into just something that to me I guess appears to be quite like normal even though no one is normal and I go into that a lot in the book but the point is I was at a wedding my friend Sam's wedding and I had rolled my eyes all day you know I'm I'm from a group of people who until five years ago was illegal to be married. And beyond that, for me as a non-binary person still today, I can't get married legally as my gender because you can't get married as a they, them, because you can't change your birth certificate to say they, them. So like, you know, I still am excluded from this sort of really lovely institution. And so really my friends and I are the kind of people who secretly love a wedding, but we go to them and we roll our eyes and we're like, ugh, and, you know, it's like, give me a lighter. I need a cigarette. And like, ugh, my God, even though we're really fun. It sound like, you know, anyway. With the life and soul of the party. The life and soul of the party while rolling our eyes. Yes. Well, you know, pushing over the bride into the mud. No, never. Anyway. And so, and so, but I was at this wedding and I'd been sort of, you know, me and my boyfriend had been sort of like, all day, like, it's just so straight. And then we'd gone for a walk the next day and it was like sunny. And I was looking at him and I was like, oh my God, I want to ask you to marry me. I want to ask you to marry me. And so then I had this big thing where I was like, I have one intellectual belief, which is about the history of, you know, the history of marriage, which is exclusionary, which is quite violent, 
about the you know the 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 contemporary attitude to marriage which is like still a commitment into some sort of you know conventionality convention that's the word and also the idea that you know a, a complete lack of faith in the state to take care of someone like me and at the same time understanding that marriage is actually an apparatus of the state in many ways and then at the same time so this was my intellectual thought that I developed over my 20s since I'd left Lancaster but then really my deep emotional thought had not changed since I was young which was like I just want to be loved enough to be tucked for someone to say it in front of everyone and to 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 commit themselves to me for life and so I I had these two completely conflicting things going on and I'm turning 30 and I'm thinking how do I organize my life how when all of my friends at home are married except two who are getting married and when even friends from here are starting to get married who said they never would you start to ask these questions and so the book is this question asked by interviewing Candace Bushnell who wrote Sex and the City and speaking to this woman who married a ghost speaking to divorcees, speaking to divorce lawyers, speaking to the Westboro Baptist Church, speaking to my parents, my friends from home, my friends from here, you know, my one of my friends who sort of left the Mormon faith, who was married very young, all these different polyamorous people, you know, all these different conceptions of what being together could be and trying to work out how to do that for me and in the and hopefully therefore how to also as a generation of more political people how to ask that question for us and I, and it was really in, yeah and that's it so wow i've really gone into it my gosh it, it's i'm i'm very grateful for this book i i love how much you interrogate and how you know, you've just mentioned how many speak people you spoke and how many different kinds of people you spoke to, to for the book to get as wide ranging perspectives as possible. And I found it, you know, it, I've, I've, I'm, I hadn't questioned. I'm, I'm married. I hadn't mm. questioned a lot of the things that you talk about in this book. And I was talking about it with my husband this morning, and mm. you know, ultimately, I think we got married because we are products of social conditioning. We're both Mm. um, heterosexual. We're Mm. both, you know, all of these things. It's very standard, normal Mm. thing for us to do. But another big reason why we got married is because we're from, he's from America. I'm from Mm. England. And I said to him this morning, you know, our, actually our only way of physically being together was for us to get a visa and we could only get that visa really because we're both self-employed well if we got married and isn't mm. that wild isn't that it we wild? it's it's wild and i hadn't interrogated it enough you know i thought a lot about like this is such an invasion of privacy like how much information you need to imp- provide mm. it was, it's like doing a tax run but tw- return but 20 times more intense yes and also invasive. about like who you are as people like, yes wild. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think what I'd, you know, I'd, like I said, I'd arrived at this book with such a strong intellectual anti-marriage belief. And what I'd found throughout, I was completely moved by some of the stories and by some of the reasons to actually get married. Um, and I and I ended in a, comp- in a way more confused place than I started, if I'm honest. And I think I think visa marriages, while it should, while it, while borders are are completely constructed and nations are completely constructed, I think while they exist, 
I think it's one of the absolute most important reasons that marriage does exist. There has to be a way to sort of cheat the system, even though it's wonderful that you're in love. But I have friends in other countries who, you know, who run sort of like visa marriage rings Mm -hmm. and it's really illegal, but I'm like, fucking do it. Exploit the system that exploits us. But I think, you know, yeah, I think, isn't it? I think one of the things when you really interrogate the system, even the people I know who are like, who are like completely blindly obsessed with marriage, obsessed with it, even when they interrogate the system, they are a bit like, it is wild. It is a bit wild that there is a, it just is wild. But I, yeah, as you say, I think, I think that that frankly is visas, visitation. And what was the other, I don't know. There's another reason that I think are really good reasons to get married, but I think when it works, it can protect. I, that's one of the big things I, I had to concede to when I was writing the book, when marriage works, it can be a really protective system and it's not my place to deny or judge that protection for someone else just because I, it's not necessarily that protective for me right now because I can't necessarily, if I had to, I'd have to get married like legally misgendered or whatever. But mm-hmm. for you, I I thank God that there's something that you can do to ensure you can be together. There's this stat in the book that I found so interesting that in the year 2000, between America and the UK alone, there were 30,000 gay couples separated by by borders because gay marriage was illegal. You know what I mean? And so, and that, and, and it, that's a lot of like, that's a lot of pining. You know, that's a lot of like missing and pain and like, and it, it's it's sad. You know. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. It's 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 heartbreaking. I really like I I really actually loved how you how you write about other other ways of being together and celebrating relationships and love that aren't based upon marriage. And I've been thinking a lot about friendship and how like yes, I have this relationship with my husband, but like I'm I'm someone who has Con- actually continues to fall in love with with friends and with people like all the time and some of my closest friendships like fill me in su- with such romance like they are I mean I, the little things that me and my friends do with each other you know like sending little parcels of books with chocolates inside like, that is fucking romantic that is romantic and, and it should be Go on. yeah no 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 Sorry. no and I'd love to hear you talk more about this well, I think, I think, you know, something, I think the queer community are, are like an expert model for other ways of being together. Yes, because, you as you know, yeah, because we've, you know, naturally you form those other ways because you're not allowed to express them in the ways that everyone else does. Either, you know, I've been with my boyfriend six, three, and we, six, three, six years and we've never held hands in public ever. Um, and I'm sure we could find pockets of moments where it would be safe to do so but it's just never worth the risk. And so if that's us today in 2021, as to, I look, I look, I, I, I look like a cis dude, even though I'm not. And so does he, that's two white, ostensibly visually gay men who, you know, the most accepted visual group of the law who can't hold hands wild. And so, you know, we, we found other way, basically we found other ways of being together. Everyone, we find ways of like, we find, other ways to express sex and sexuality when you're outlawed, you know, or when you're outlawed, whether from marriage or like pre, 
you know, 1969, when you're, when you're literally, your sexuality is outlawed, you find all these other ways of, of being together, of expressing romance, of, and, and oh, what am I trying to say? And I think, like, it's sort of, it's slightly sad, something that I've, I realise over writing the book as well, is that monogamy and marriage kind of forces us to slightly cleave off the other ways we might be together. Like the way you just described with your friends, that's really special and really wonderful. And I think we'd all be sort of slightly happier and healthier if we could admit that we're allowed to have extramarital relationships. And I don't mean necessarily sexually, if that's not what's right for the couple. But I do think if there, I'm sorry, but life is full of potential and flirtation and full of romance, as you said. And so one of the things that that really sort of frustrated me a lot and frustrates me about the idea of marriage, and I think it's something that Judith Butler says, but I'm going to paraphrase her terribly. She says, like, the moment you get married, you sort of broadcast the fact that your desirability is off the market. And then I interviewed this really interesting divorce woman, and she was like, when you get married psychologically, you kind of become a team. And you feel like, you know, the week before the wedding, I could have said to my friends, oh, he's not lifted a fucking finger. Oh my God, like he never does anything. And then the moment you're married, you feel like it's almost shameful to admit that there's a problem or that that he doesn't lift a finger or that like he's actually at work three hours longer a day than he said he would be when we first got married. Because it's sort of, it sort of like brings about this feeling that you've fucked up, that it's embarrassing that you've made the choice to get married. So you feel kind of ashamed that you're with someone who's not making you happy all the time. But I think we should all realize that like happiness is, and it's something really obvious and that's been said loads of times, but like happiness is like, you know, it comes from, it cannot come from one person and it could, it should come from the formation, the fall apart, the romance, the flirtation of endless different relationships in your life. There's nothing more scary to me than marrying my partner who I love deeply and never being able to form another deep relationship in my life, which is kind of what marriage decrees. And so it was really, it was really wonderful to get to interview and speak with people, not just polyamorous people, even though I think that's like, that's like future level stuff of genius when you can manage to, when you can manage to be successfully and healthily like polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous. I think that's like, that takes a whole different sort of transcended being iconic to do that. But like, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was just wonderful to speak to like, basically, yeah, kind of like, I, especially it really the most moving interviews for me were with the divorced women actually because they had really considered other ways of being not necessarily other ways of being together but almost by by the fact that a lot of th- of the I interviewed like eight divorced women and I think only two or three interviews made it into the book because a lot of them had had similar feelings and 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 that was I believed and venerated togetherness and believed in and venerated togetherness and marriage and this couple I've been in for we're talking like 20 to 30 years and then it ends and then everything you'd imagined your life to be is raised to the ground and as a result these people or you know the women that I spoke to and I can't can't speak on behalf of them and they can't speak on behalf of every woman who's divorced obviously but I think they'd all been forced to reconsider relationships, reconsider what they want from life, reconsider friendship, reconsider where they're getting their intimacy from. And 
as a result, they came up with some of them, you know, one of the women I, I interviewed was like incredibly conservative, very straight. And the way, the things she was saying were just so moving. And I was like, I, I didn't, but I wanted to be like, it's like the gays, it's like the queers, you're doing the same thing. You're like, you know, you, you, you hold your friends and you, you tell them everything and you get too drunk and spend nights in their bed. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that it's romantic, but I'm saying that it's like a deep level of love that you, that is akin to a marriage. Well, it makes me think about how, you know, um, when you have a breakup, um, so often you kind of go into this mode of like, suddenly you have all this time to do all the things that make you happy. But one thing that I really liked um, reading about in your book was how you talk about these kind of, these moments of like self-care that we have, which end up like, in a way, are we just trying to make ourselves more more desirable for like our potential <sighs> spouse? Not that bit where I really slag off self-care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I know it's true. We have to we have to be very conscious of you know all of these things that are hijacked by capitalism and oh, that, you know what? That's actually I've not even thought. I'd never even thought about it like that. That's really interesting. How you develop self care rituals when you're alone, and then when you're it's what do they call it? What show is it in? Is it Sex and City? Probably is called SSB Secret Single Behavior. And I always think about that. There's like S, we all have SSB. What happens to the SSB when it go when you're in a relationship? It's very, you know, like this is wild, but sort of like, you know, cutting your toenails on the kitchen table. Like, girl, you can't do that. I mean, you could. I could probably cut in front of my boyfriend, but he'd be quite like, can you put them in the bin? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think, yeah, I think the thing that I've realized, the thing that I've I've learned a lot about relationships too in writing this book. And the thing that I've realized has has to happen to make a marriage successful or a relationship successful is you not only do you certainly have to have space for those rituals that are for you and you alone in order to sort of feel like a whole person going forward in life. Um, but the second thing I think I've realized is like, I guess it kind of relates to what you're saying, but not. It's more just like what you said was very smart and I don't really know how to add to it. But the second thing that I realise, which is really interesting to me at least, is that marriage is the, I think psychologically marriage, we have this idea of like solidification and cement, like cementation and like, um and like, or even a relationship stability. But I think the only way really we can be successful in love going ahead is if you build the contract of the relationship based on the idea that both parties both will and have to change right because when I think say about like an you know an older an older straight married woman that I know very well she has changed jobs like three times she has had three children and she has lost both parents. And that, those things, the, the way she is now, I didn't know her when she got married, but the way she is now, she says to me is so different to the way I was when I got married, because of course it was. But the, the reason a lot of like relationships and divorces happen and relationships break up is because someone's like, you've changed. But it's like, of course I've changed. So have you. Did we promise to stay the same forever? So I think that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, I think we have this... Um kind of false idea that we do most of our changing in our teens and 20s absolutely 
but I think the realization will be like those changes you know you change loads all the time as we should it's so important it's so important and also like it's so thrilling Mm -hmm. It, it makes me sad to think it makes I think that's another thing as well it makes me sad to think that we that we we might limit the potential for change in ourselves because because you, you want to you want to sort of hold on to what you've got in front of you. But the only way a relationship can be successful if someone is if someone's going to sort of be the bedrock for that change is going to be like I love it. Let me change with you. You know, and it's the same as what I was saying earlier. Like I think the idea of comfort terrifies me because the idea of comfort. I'm constantly. Oh my god, I'm going way too deep, but I'm constantly aware that it's that I hate it, but it is just there. It's the you only live once thing, and I wish we didn't. I hate it. I really hate it. But the point is, I think one of the things that I'm constantly constantly asking myself is like, oh my god, am I am I living enough? And there's moments in my life where I'm playing the game high heels on my phone, which is just where a woman walks down like a moving conveyor belt and gains high heels, which makes the high heels higher. Like, I'm like, you've spent an hour on this. Like, this is not, you only live once girl, like, come on. (laughs) But I think really that's, that's one thing. But I think really when I think about the ways I want to organize my future, it terrifies me because I always think in the, in the best way, in the in the way that makes me ask more questions. Cause I think, what if I get to ATM? Like, God, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have made that choice, right? And so I, the only way to try and slightly minimise that feeling for me has been to ask questions of everything. And sometimes it's exhausting. But if I'm going to... And this is the this is the, a lot... One of the things that did frustrate me a lot about interviewing a lot of people is that not quite enough questions were asked and about why you're doing this. And I think if you've asked them and answered them the way you did earlier... Or the way, say, my friend Anna from home did, where she was like, I, my dad left when I was young and I wanted to take his name. I think that's enough of a reason to do it. I know it might not be the most feminist reason or whatever, but I think her want to feel a sort of inclusion in a family structure she's never felt is an absolutely valid reason to make a decision as big as marriage. But I do think we have to ask questions. We have to. It ter- or maybe we don't, but for me, I have to ask questions or else. Yeah. You know? well, no, yeah, it's so important because you you have to be so certain in the answers because otherwise, when when someone else asks you, you know, even if it's not in a very accusatory way, it mm. will just bring up all of your securities and you won't feel secure in that decision. Mm. Um, this is like a minor, but I took my husband's surname purely because I fucking love the surname. Oh yeah, it's chic. I did think what chic name you have. It's not. It's not mine. It's, it's you know. It's yours. very much his. And I and I that it was. It's such a like that was my sole reason and I had so many people say to me like well mainly on the internet like how dare you that's so unfeminist like how could you do that and I'm like in my head I'm like I just think it's a beautiful surname like I love it I'm so pleased I did it because I think it's stunning anyway I um, also but this is this is the this is a lot of the things that the book allowed me to interrogate as well I don't think it's enough to just say that's not very feminist what does that mean I think I think like I well personally again I I I, I can't necessarily I could say I could say speak for the ways that different communities sort of call each other out, and sometimes it's right, but sometimes I'm a bit like, is that enough? Is it enough just to say that's not very feminist? And really, is you changing your name to a very chic surname really is that the focus, or should the focus be on like working class women and healthcare and 
and you know the and, and like mortality maternity rates for women of color that is what we should be focusing on not whether you change your surname because that is not how the feminist revolution happens or the queer revolution does not happen by me going on i mean it annoys me definitely when i see like quite basic sort of cis gays doing a dance to rain on me at their wedding in white suits and everyone's like yes honey um it annoys me because i'm like god we are so much more complex and interesting than that where is the taste but at the same time i'm like i'm not gonna rail i might make a joke but i'm not gonna rail against that because what i really care about is trans healthcare and waiting times for trans people trying to get hormones and, and medical care or what i really care about is like the fact that there that like it is illegal to be gay in so many countries in the world and it's that that i need to think about or the fact that like the most the highest proportion of homeless people in the uk are lgbt and beyond that there are there are homeless people in the uk why how do we live in a system where people make billions for doing a, a crap app while there's literally homelessness rises so they're the questions that are worth asking to me not like did Venetia change her name? <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, totally. I, I com- I'm on the complete same page as you. And uh, yeah, you're totally right. Quick fire with Tom. Wake up early or have a lion? Wake up early, very early. How early are we talking? Like seven every day, but six if I'm really loving it. Breakfast, lunch or dinner? A dinner and dessert. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Twitter or Instagram? Instagram, but really none of it. Thigh-high boots or sky-high heels? Wait, a thigh-high flat or a thigh-high high-heel boot? A thigh-high... I think they can both be high high heels, but the sky-high heels are particularly high. Then a thigh-high. Even a thigh-high kitten heel, quite chic. Don't take that out back. (laughs) (laughs) Madonna or Celine Dion? No, you didn't. Um, I can't. Oh, God. Oh. So musically, Madonna. Emotionally, Celine Dion. Sorry, that's such a get out of jail free. Okay, Madonna. Ah, no, Celine. Oh, my God. You know what? You pick. (laughs) Carrie or Samantha? Samantha, Samantha is the, the the heroine of that show. They just, the network and the writers just probably couldn't cope with the fact that she was like a sexually empowered woman. She was actually the reason we all watched. Absolutely, Samantha. Carrie or Miranda? Carrie. <laughs> Miranda or Charlotte? Miranda. Oh, I'm sorry. Charlotte's a Republican, like, terrifying person. Podcasts or Netflix? I hate to say it, but Netflix. <laughs> Except or... this podcast. Hey. <laughs> uh. Showers or baths? Showers. I get sweaty in the bath, which feels so counterintuitive. Sunrise or sunset? Depends. Sunrise if it's a weekday, sunset if it's a weekend. Morning or evening skincare routine? Evening. And finally, routine or spontaneity? A lot of routine with a good bit of spontaneity, I think. I, 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 you know what? I'd love to say spontaneity, but it's routine for me. I'm a Virgo. <gasps> I'm a Virgo. Are you? Yes, yes. of course what you are. What date are you born? September 11. What about oh, you? 
21st. 21st. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I'm Virgo and I'm really, I've really come into my Virgoisms in the last like five years. A one for you, Madonna or Celine Dion? Madonna. Yeah, I get it. Eggs or avocado? Avocado. Yeah, I'm eggs. Then that's that. (laughs) (laughs) Marriage or divorce? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit? So it was smoking and it was self-care because it's something I chose to do that I loved, even if it's bad for me. But I think now it's it's probably spending time sat on the kitchen floor with my dog because it is like a moment where I just get to engage with something that, that doesn't care about anything except that interaction. And it, it's deeply moving. <laughs> I love that. What have you read, listened to, or watched recently that you would like to recommend? Three things. Detransition Baby by Tori Peters is probably (gasps) one of the best books I've ever read. Have you read it? It's top of my list. I can't wait to read it. It's so good. And it's sort of informing my thoughts for my next book, which is all about sort of who's entitled to fertility kind of thing. Interesting. Um, um, So, yeah, no, Tori Peters' Detransition Baby is absolutely remarkable to read sort of mean flawed really sort of stretched brilliant trans characters and trans real lives is so rare and it was so special um and another book the three books actually um shuggy bane it's just i'm reading it at the moment so i'm only halfway through it might become terrible but it won the book a prize not that i'm obsessed with prizes because i think they're judged by you know elitist judgmental people but um shuggy bane is every sentence feels like heartbreak and if you're looking for something that sort of will take you away from where you are it will do that but it's it's a hard read but it is just every sentence is so beautiful and every sentence feels like a tiny piece of heartbreak which i think is such an unbelievable skill and then the third book that i'm reading at the moment as well is the transgender issue by sean fay and it's like every sentence is a mic drop. Every, every, I'm, I'm stealing my friend Amru's words there, but every, every um, chapter feels like a mic drop. It is just such a smart, considered, like generous, inter- intelligent, like accessible, like remedy to all of the transphobia that's happening publicly in the media, in the British press and in the Brit- on, and on online in the UK right now. And it's just so... It basically, it's not mean, it's not judgmental, it's not like you're all stupid, it just sort of takes all those things and you're like, oh yeah, even though I knew that, obviously, but for the reader, it's just like, you're like, that's why that is wrong. And it just is fundamentally wrong and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's not out yet, is it? I think that must be a... Amazing recommendations, thank you so, so Mm. much. Um, Penultimate question, if you could advise listeners to do or try one thing today to help them find joy, what would it be? Mm. I have three things. One, drink loads of water. I'm obsessed. I've been drinking loads of water since I was a teen when I had bad acne. I've been drinking like two litres a day. I'm obsessed with it. It is joyful. I have this reusable bottle. It's a Camelback 1.5 litre. You know what? If I could recommend anything in my life that I have, it is this water bottle. It is a Camelback 1.5 1.5 litre magnetic closing top bottle. It's amazing. I take it everywhere I go. I'm obsessed. So drink water and buy the Camelback and they better send me a free one 
for that. Um, no, no, no. That, I think lying down on grass, if there's some near you, is really quite an amazing feeling. And often when I'm feeling particularly stressed, I'll go and I will just put my back and my head and my legs on the grass. And it almost feels like it's like ebbing away some tension or whatever. And then eat something that you really want to eat. Literally, just like, just eat it. Just eat it. And finally, what is one thing you hope your older self will have achieved? Mm, I love that. Um, I would like to feel comfortable in comfort. I would like to feel like I deserve to feel comfortable. Like I've made enough choices, I've interrogated enough things, I have been good enough to enough people to sit for a day and think I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit and like, that's it. That's kind of what I'd love to have achieved. Quite a bleak one. (laughs) Really? I think that's really lovely. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. I want to ask you all the same questions. (laughs) This is why you need a podcast. I don't know. But yes, well, thank you very much for having me. It was such, such a pleasure to speak to you, honestly. What an episode, right? I absolutely love Tom and I feel very, very lucky to have spent that time with them on their publication day. If you enjoyed this episode, if it really made you think, if it's, you know, sparked an idea in you or you want to have a conversation based on it about marriage and everything that it entails with a friend, please do share it with them. You can also share the show on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia Lamanna. And if you want to get in touch with the show I would absolutely love to hear from you please do pop me a dm at atst podcast that way I will definitely see it I'm afraid sometimes things get a little bit lost on my main account so do message the show on at atst podcast as I'd love to read your emails out and hear your thoughts I think that's it from me I hope you're doing well and I hope you are prioritizing the things that bring you joy and I look forward to being back here with you same time same place next week hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.